Hello and welcome to episode 240 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's story takes us back to the heady days of the dot-com bubble around the turn of the century, where we look at the behaviour of some working in the media at this time. It's a real tale of winners, losers, luck and coincidence. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, especially the new members of this exclusive club, which is Sarah Jackson, Sue Walker, Corin, Holly Herkitt and Rob Ford. Thank you so much for your support, which is much appreciated and no doubt life-changing for you, right? As well as bonus episodes and other exclusive content, all Patreon supporters can enter the amazing competition to win a fantastic Central London hotel room in the CrimeCon Hotel for the Saturday Night of CrimeCon in September. Join us now at patreon.com slash a UK true crime. Okay, so let's set some context for today's story of our guest the month and year game. I think we've hit a new low with music, as top of the UK charts was Westlife with the utterly dreadful I Have a Dream and the B-side was equally bad seasons in the sun. I'd rather go to the dentist. In the US, it was Christina Aguilera with What a Girl Wants, and Macy Gray topped the Australian album charts for eight weeks with On How Life Is. In the news this month, a day after accepting the head coaching position at the New York Jets, Bill Belichick resigned and moved to the New England Patriots. Tony Blair's wife, Cherie, was fined for not having a valid train ticket with her on a journey from London Blackfriars to Luton. She claimed to have had only Portuguese currency with her at the time and to have been unable to find a machine where she could use her credit card. A Scottish trawler, the Solway Harvester, sank in the Irish Sea, killing seven sailors. And in UK true crime news, Dr Harold Shipman was sentenced to life in prison after being found guilty of murdering 15 patients in Greater Manchester between 1995 and 1998. He was also sentenced to four years in prison to run concurrently for forging the will of one of his victims. The subsequent inquiry considered him to have killed at least 215 people. Did you get the month and year? It was January 2000. On to today's story, where I would particularly like to thank the Press Gang website for being the source of so much information, and incidentally, all my sources for every episode of the podcast are always included in the show notes. If you are the editor of a tabloid paper, you're always under pressure to get the best stories and to grow sales. And in March 2000, editor of the Daily Mirror, Piers Morgan, was really feeling the strain. This came to a head at the 2000 Press Gazette Awards. At this time, when national newspapers weren't insignificant and widely untrusted like today, the competition between the Sun and the Mirror was real, and the antipathy between staff on both papers really existed. At this awards ceremony, Piers Morgan got drunk and snapped and punched a Sun journalist later saying, Then one of the Sun lot, quite understandably, threw a punch at me which missed and all hell broke out, with journalists from the Mirror and the Sun trading shoves, slaps, kicks and abuse. The extra pressure he was under all came from a piece published in his newspaper back on the 18th of January 
in the City Slickers column. Since 1998, this column was written by two business journalists, James Hipwell and Anil Boyrell. It was a time when the rise of computers and easier access to the internet meant it was becoming easier for normal people not involved in the world of finance to buy and sell shares, and the so-called dot-com bubble was still huge. This bubble started growing in the late 90s as access to the internet expanded and stock values seemed to keep on growing. For example, the Nasdaq, home to many of the biggest US tech stocks, grew from around 1,000 points in 1995 to more than 5,000 in 2000. A large number of companies were going public with massively inflated prices and the stock price seemed to regularly double on day one. The City Slickers column capitalised on this excitement and opportunity, carrying gossip, financial news and of course share tips. It was super popular and the Guardian at one time described it as the column that turned city into showbiz. All the old-fashioned guidance around investments had gone out of the window. If the slickers recommended buy, the mirror faithful readers all would seemingly pile in and purchase the stock, leading to the share in question often doubling in price. It seemed to all involved that they just couldn't lose. No doubt many finance journalists over the years have been keen to make a killing on inside information because this information is worth real money in the city. Of course, this is why it's highly regulated by a huge compliance network overseen by what was then called the Financial Services Authority, the FSA, which is now known as the Financial Conduct Authority. But back in 2000, it seemed that the normal regulations had broken down and the city slickers took full advantage of this. Piers Morgan's life suddenly got more difficult one February evening. He'd been out that day chatting to Arsenal Football Club about becoming their managing director before ruling it out as he didn't believe they could meet his financial demands. He really was at the peak of his career at this time and he arrived back to his office in Canary Wharf at about 7pm. Daily Telegraph journalist Susie Jagger had left a message asking if he bought shares in Vigland Technology through Kite Securities on the 17th of January. Morgan immediately knew he was facing a big problem. He had bought shares in Vigland, a company owned by Alan Sugar, on that day, which was the same day that the city's slickers were filing an exclusive story about Vigland planning an internet business. The news about Viglan was the City Slicker's tip of the next day under the booming headline We expect the price which closed last night at 180 pence to double in a very short time. Get in quick for the payday of a lifetime. They weren't wrong. On the 18th of January, the shares increased from £1.80 to £3.66. Morgan's secretary immediately noticed how her boss reacted to the news of the call from the journalist and asked if he was all right. Morgan responded, Well, I'm not sure to be honest. I bought some bloody shares a few weeks ago and I think it's about to crash around my ears. Morgan rang the journalist back and told her that he had bought some shares 
later saying that he did so as it's better to be open and upfront in situations like these. He also called lawyers working for the Mirror to talk them through what exactly had happened, just in case. Morgan waited anxiously for the first edition of the Telegraph late that night and was relieved to see they carried just a small item, saying he had purchased £20,000 worth of Vigeland chairs. But when journalists at The Sun saw the same early story, they decided to splash it all over their front page, along with an editorial calling for Morgan to resign. Essentially, they were saying that he'd engaged in insider trading. Using the information being prepared by the City Slickers column the next day, to buy shares for himself, knowing that the share price would rocket. This story now had real legs. The next day, Morgan was explaining his conduct to senior executives at the Trinity Mirror Group. John Allwood, the deputy chief executive, summoned him to his office, where Morgan told him that he'd had no idea that the city slickers were going to tip Figlan the next day. More widely, he said he'd only ever bought a small number of shares that they'd tipped, maybe less than 20 times, and he'd barely made a profit on these deals. Morgan kept his job, but Trinity Mirror instructed law firm Lovells to carry out a full investigation. Two days later, on February the 4th, Trinity Mirror issued a statement to the Stock Exchange confirming the results of the investigation. James Hipwell and Anil Boyrell had confirmed that Morgan had not been alerted to their tip, so the statement made clear, and I quote, that there are no grounds for any accusations of any impropriety or wrongdoing by Piers Morgan. Morgan revealed that he'd quickly sold the shares and donated any money he'd made to charity. That should have closed the chapter, but it didn't. Rather than being repentant about the effects of their actions, Hipwell and Boyrell were loving the attention. They boasted in the paper how Alan Sugar has just made the fastest 100 million in the city's history, and it's all down to us. That boast didn't go down well with the authorities, and it triggered a number of inquiries involving the Stock Exchange, the Press Complaints Commission, the PCC, the Financial Services Authority, and the Department of Trade and Industry. Within a month, Hitwell and Boyle had been sacked from the Mirror for gross misconduct. Morgan would later claim, A decision I was not allowed to take any part in, but everyone would think I did to save my own scrawny neck. I can sense a certain frostiness among some of the staff, and there are even rumours that some senior journalists are planning a vote of no confidence in me. The PCC, as part of their investigation, called for evidence from Hitwell and Boyrell. Hitwell told them that on at least 25 occasions, he had bought shares in companies before they were tipped in the paper, and then sold them to make money, knowing that the share price would increase. Boyrell admitted he'd done the same at least six times. When he gave evidence, Piers Morgan said he had warned both journalists against buying shares in the companies that the column tipped. But Hipwell and Boyrell said that these conversations had never taken place. Boyrell also admitted that he lied to the Trinity Mirror internal investigation by saying that he'd not told his editor Morgan that the column the next day was tipping Riglan, when in fact he had. He had told him on the morning of the 17th 
and Morgan told him later that day that he had bought shares in the company. But in his evidence, Morgan said he had bought his shares in Viglan before the article was written, and he maintained that he was unaware that the city slickers were pushing the stock the next day. In May 2000, the Press Complaints Commission revealed the results of their investigation, and they issued a critical adjudication which severely censured both the city slickers and Piers Morgan, who, as editor of the paper, had allowed the two journalists to commit in flagrant multiple breaches of the editor's code over a sustained period of time. The Sun revelled in the ruling, writing a cutting editorial which said that Morgan was no more than a lying spiv. As government things inevitably do, the DTI investigation dragged on for almost four years. Hitwell, Boyrell and Morgan were each interviewed a number of times. Eventually, the DTI decided there was not a case to prosecute Morgan for insider dealing, but they did decide to prosecute the city slicker journalists. That was 38-year-old Anil Boyrell and 39-year-old James Hitwell, along with they trade a friend of theirs, 36-year-old Terry Shepard, with market manipulation under the Financial Services Act. They said that they had conspired to create a misleading impression as to the value of investments for the purpose of creating the impression and thereby inducing other persons to acquire those investments by using the City Slickers column in the Daily Mirror to tip those investments. By buying the shares, then tipping them to the readers before selling them, a number of the shares where they'd made money dropped in value, meaning that the readers of the Mirror, mainly just ordinary casual investors, would lose money. Boyrell, who made £15,000 from the scam, and by now had secured a new role, editing a Dubai-based magazine, pleaded guilty. Hitwell, who'd made over £41,000, and Shepard, who'd made £17,000, maintained their innocence. But after a seven-week trial, they were found guilty. Although not facing charges, the trial was very uncomfortable for Piers Morgan and some of his colleagues from Trinity Mirror. In his evidence, Hitwell made clear that Morgan and other executives were very well aware that he bought shares in his own name and they supported it. Evidence was also produced to show that Morgan, rather than just buy £20,000 in Vigeland shares, he'd actually bought £67,000 worth. On the day before the city slickers tipped Vigeland, he made the following purchases. At 12.33pm, he bought Vigeland shares worth just over £12,800 through his wife's PEP. At 12.45pm, he used his own PEP to buy shares worth just over £36,000. And at 3.28pm, Morgan phoned his stockbroker to buy more shares worth just over £18,000. Although Morgan wasn't on trial, business journalists in the court were surprised to see that the final transaction took place nine minutes after the Mirror's computer records showed that the Viglin article was submitted by Anil Boyrell. The revelations continued to flow, giving observers a very clear idea of the culture at Trinity Mirror at this time. It wasn't just Morgan who had coincidentally bought Viglund shares on the day before the City Slickers column, 
so had other journalists at the paper. Business editor Clinton Manning, news editor David Lee and reporter Ian Miller. It transpired that other senior staff had bought other shares later tipped by the city slickers, including deputy editor Tina Weaver and the paper's lawyer and close friend of Morgan, Martin Crudis. This was the man who advised Morgan on the Press Complaints Commission Editor's Code. Oh, and Crudis's mum, girlfriend, and her dad also bought shares in some of these firms. Although Crudis said that he regretted this, like Morgan had said before, he put it all down to coincidence that the shares he had bought and recommended to family were later recommended by the City Slicker column. Standing in the dock, Hipwell said that Crudis and Deputy Editor Tina Weaver had applied pressure on him to protect Morgan in the investigations by insisting that Morgan had not seen the Viglin article before it was published. Hipwell said he wasn't able to do this as not only had Morgan seen the article, but he'd actually made some changes to it. Crudis, Morgan and Tina Weaver all denied these allegations. Viglund's PR advisor at the time was Nick Hewer, later of Apprentice and Countdown fame. He told the court how he'd spoken to Boyrell on the 17th of January to agree a quote from the tech company to appear in the article. But later, he told how he'd met Boyrell, who'd asked him to lie to protect Morgan, telling him that his editor was in trouble and he indicated that he wanted to concoct a helpful version of events. Nick Hewer explained that he was unable to help, as all the facts were locked in a letter to the stock exchange from Viglin. He continued, This suggestion about the timing of the call placed me in a very difficult position, as I was dealing with the editor and the journalist of the largest circulation national newspaper. My living was to deal with these people, and I again explained that I could not be pressurised into saying anything. The next day he told how he spoke to Morgan personally. They discussed the timing of Boyle's call on the 17th, and Morgan had suggested it would be, I quote, helpful if the time of the clearance quote could be pushed back from the time it was actually made. Nick said that he couldn't lie, but he was persuaded to say that the call had been made late in the afternoon. The solicitor from Lovells who carried out the internal inquiry on behalf of Trinity Mirror was asked in court about Nick Hewer's evidence. He was asked if he knew Hewer had been asked to lie, would he have still cleared Morgan of wrongdoing? He said that he wouldn't. After the trial, Morgan rubbished the evidence given by Nick Hewer, telling the Press Gazette, it was absolutely cock and bull rubbish. I never asked Nick Hewer to lie. At the end of the trial, James Hippel was sentenced to prison for six months, Terry Shepard got three months, and Anil Boyrell was given 180 hours community service. At the time, Hipwell was very unwell, suffering from kidney issues, and the judge said this contributed to a shorter sentence, adding, There was no guidance from your superiors or from in-house lawyers, and there was evidence of a culture of advanced information about tips and share dealing in the office. I also take into account the fact that there was no formal code of conduct for journalists working at the Daily Mirror. 
By this time, Piers Morgan had been sacked as editor in 2004 after publishing pictures of British soldiers abusing prisoners in Iraq, which turned out to be fake. And commenting on the trial of the city slickers, he told The Independent on Sunday, I fully accept that I'm a morally defunct human being. But as you all know, Piers Morgan is still very much in the public eye. And what of Hipwell, who before working for the Mirror had worked for Max Hastings? He had a kidney transplant from his brother in 2002 and a second from his wife in 2010. He continued to work in the media and the last I found of him he was based in Beirut with his wife and still in email contact with Anil Boyrell. As for Boyrell, in 2004 he moved to Dubai to become editor of Arabian Business and became editor-in-chief of ITP Media Group until June 2020, shortly after Arabian Business introduced a paywall when he left. In March 2021, he was appointed CEO of Jez Media in Dubai. So what do you make of what we've heard today? One part of financial journalism which makes it very different to writing about news or other specialisms is the very real temptation to make a quick and illegal profit. The information being dealt with is worth a lot of money, but we don't hear many examples of financial journalists acting in the same way as the journalists in the story today. It would appear that Boyle and Hipwell just got caught up in their own success combined with the heady times in which they were operating, where they could almost play God with their tips. What do they say about politics? It's like the movie business for ugly people. I wonder what this says about the journalists on the mirror at this time. And of course they were operating at a time when the usual rules about compliance seemed to break down completely, especially in the culture at the paper at this time. Then there were the senior executives at the Mirror, like Piers Morgan, who, I must make clear, did nothing illegal. I guess Morgan, Crudis and the others were just lucky that coincidence meant they all made money from the city slicker column in their paper. Trebles all round, huh? Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this episode, or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group. If nothing else, it's certainly never dull. And to support the show and access bonus episodes and other exclusive content and be in with that chance to win a central London hotel room for as little as £1 a month, that room on its own is £200 a night, please join us at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. So that's all for me for another week. After having my hopes cruelly dashed yesterday, and my plans for a trip to the saunas of Rochdale cancelled until goodness knows when, I'll have to console myself with watching another Kings of Leon live performance. Or maybe watching a plant growing or paint dry. It's the same enjoyment level. So on that bombshell, until we speak again, please do take it easy, and despite all the others, please stay classy. Cheerio!